Hello, friends. Welcome once again to the Perfect Bound Podcast. This is a podcast all about anything and everything comic books and comics related, brought to you by the Panel Jumper. My name is Ben. With me, as always, is Cole Hornaday. Hey, Cole. Hey. Nicole Lamb. Hello. And, of course, Chris Casso. How is everybody this Hello. fine evening? Good. Good. Conscious. Conscious. <laughs> It's been a weird week. Yes. Like housewife extraordinaire today. I like baked bread, made homemade hummus, made homemade <laughs> soup, then cleaned everything, which is a lot of work. <laughs> Something I need to do. That's, I was having this conversation with a friend of mine. There are two different types of clean. There's clean, but not tidy. And there's tidy, but not clean. I fall into that camp. My apartment is very orderly, but I should probably clean the toilet. Yeah, a little dusty, dirty. Well, I think, Ben, you left off the third category, which is scoured. Scoured. Yeah. Mm. I don't, I, you know, every once in a blue moon, I will scour. And then, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then understand and then realize that there's a reason why I don't do this. <laughs> I awesome. want to have a life. I want to have my peace of mind. I don't, because you will never be able to go back to the scoured, scorched earth of cleanliness that you've made your bathroom in the course of the hours. That's going to, because who has those kind of, that kind of time in a and day? Then, but, yeah. And then like three months go by and you're like, I just cleaned this. <laughs> well, exactly. I actually moved my oven and cleaned under it when oh I first goodness. became unemployed. And I won't do that for another six to eight years. So that's yeah. 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 Have you gotten to the point, I don't know if your oven does this, where you actually lift the top of the oven up and clean all the bits that have fallen underneath the, the burners. I used to do that when I had an oven like that, yeah. See, at this point, I've just named the dust because uh, <laughs> it is now part of the apartment. I'm, yeah. I'm, in, I'm in like the basement level of the apartment complex. So it's just, it's naturally dusty. And there's just a certain point that's just like, you're just going to come back like in, you know, two hours at this rate yeah. oh um, yeah dusting true. is a nightmare i mean with all the figures we have uh, yes. and they're all <laughs> over the apartment we have to move every figure dust and then do it in like a week it's like yeah can't yes. imagine it's, <laughs> it's tough yeah. being having a nerd kingdom welcome, welcome to the cleaning things. podcast <laughs> exactly yes let's talk about um techniques and <laughs> cleaning supplies i like simple green um i, I do use, actually i use paintbrushes to get the stuff of toys yes <laughs> yes i do that too yeah nice it's I actually really that. fun when i dust my batwoman because i also have a crush on her and i have to clean everywhere so. <laughs> every nook and cranny yeah that's right every nook and cranny well speaking of nooks and crannies there's been a big call from marvel to retire the punisher logo uh, we talked about this last time about how Jerry Conway was trying to reappropriate because a lot of the wrong people are lashing onto it. But now a larger public call is coming to Marvel to get to either retire the logo and or the character. And uh, so far, no word from Marvel. Well, yeah. OK, so this is very similar to the Pepe the Frog thing where. Uh, that was an indie comic about a bunch of stoner friends hanging out called Boys Club or whatever. And then it was appropriated by by right wingers on the Internet. And it just kind of became its own thing. Right. I mean, yeah. you know, 
And this is the same thing where it's like whether or not people have read Punisher comics who are wearing these things or if they still read Punisher comics, I think it's beyond its own thing. It's been appropriated into something else because this whole article can just be stripped down to Garth Ennis and Jerry Conway, like Garth Ennis being like, they're idiots. It doesn't matter. And Jerry Conway being like, that's not what the character is, you know, and that's pretty much it. They're just going to do what they're going to do. It's been appropriated already. (laughs) There's a funny part in that article where the uh, the writer is just like, they should just redesign the character. And it's just like, yeah, we've seen how that works. No. Um, no. no I, I don't agree. No, Frankencastle. <laughs> well, yeah, Frankencastle. Okay, well, yes. <laughs> or th- <laughs> Touche. Or like the terrible armor phase or some crap like that. But it's just yeah. one of those things like the best approach, if they feel the need... If they feel the need to just put them on the shelf for a while, which it, which I think is actually an acceptable, vacations are nice. Frank needs a vacation sometimes, but um, if they they don't necessarily have to give Frank the vacation, maybe just the symbol. And most of the Garth Ennis run, like you barely see the symbol in the Max run. He's got the trench coat; you can kind of see there it is. But half the other times, he's getting beaten so badly you never see the skull. And so it's more about Frank than it is about the symbol. And it's just like, he could just change the way you're telling the stories to that degree exactly. and ride this out until something, you know, the, the air clears a bit. Yeah, because there's a tremendous hue and cry in the chats. Yes, I made the mistake. I read the chats. Um, <laughs> and there was a lot of whataboutism. Like, well, when I watched the, um, the, the, the riots and, um, at the Capitol, I saw, well, I also saw, a lot of um, uh, Ohio State University um, logos too. So what does that mean? I'm like, well, that's not even that's not even <laughs> fair part of the discussion. Um, I'm all for like either pulling it back or retiring the image um, uh, uh, because otherwise you get into this. Well, what about this? Or what about that? And it's and it's and it starts to resonate for me. It's a very similar argument as back in the late '80s and '90s when people were were getting bent out of shape about the expectation of political correctness it's like you know yeah uh sorry so, i just i'm getting distracted here I, so i mean wow. uh, if, you, if you're listening to this on the podcast stream you maybe you'll know that we actually record these too and it's on our youtube channel and, and cole's cat just uh, uh interrupted cole's train of thought which i'm probably sure yeah. isn't the first time that's ever happened no. what i appreciate though is you know that that butt was gonna go right in your face <laughs> and you just like pulled that tail down so tight yeah. like a lid you were like not today but not today. <laughs> Not today. We, we've been uh, we've been video collaborators since the dawn of the pandemic. So you know, mystery has his OnlyFans. <laughs> so c- completing the cats thought should have their own OnlyFans. <laughs> that would make money. <laughs> Only cats. Completing Only cats. the thought. Completing the thought on uh, Frank Castle. I know the TV show is kind of like I'm not quite sure what the status of it is. Um, has is is the Punisher still actively being pu- uh, published? right now i can't recall i breeze through marvel previews really fast now i I don't work for a store i don't think there's a current run at the moment because they they had like a mini series after the war of the realms uh where he like wore a viking's helmet and killed norse demons and stuff like that and i yeah because i haven't been you know haven't been doing the order from i haven't noticed any punisher in the catalog so it feels like he's he's already kind of on a little vacation at the moment. 
Um, guess- oh yeah, there was there was something about uh, the run that Deacon uh, Shalvi was doing that basically didn't get the finish. Like they're going to re- release it as a graphic novel or trade paperback. But uh, I think it was the Punisher versus the Barracuda run or something like that. And right. uh, Marvel was just like, we're just going to, you know, it, because this was during the pandemic anyway, the start of the pandemic and everything was delayed. And I think they just kind of swapped that one under the carpet. They're just like, nah, we'll worry about you later. You'll get printed. And they still have plans to release uh, at least two or three different uh, reprint trade paperbacks, like an epic edition and something else, including the Punisher Barracuda. So it's just like, no, they're still, they're, they're not completely, you know, putting them on, you know, putting them down. But yeah, the Punisher presents Barracuda Max new printing was um, offered last January, yeah. and then um, I haven't, I don't see anything really uh, on the horizon besides uh, Dynamic Forces things, which are just, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. Variant grabs. And a welcome back Frank hardcover that mm. will be out in March. So just a reprint. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right on. Uh, a couple of notable passings. Steve Lytle, who uh, uh artist on Doom Patrol and Classic Legion of Superheroes, died at the age of 61. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's he was one of those guys that um he was sort of everywhere during like the mid 90s early 90s for me when i was you know growing up and getting into comics um along with the likes of like paul ryan and like alex saviuk that butchered that one um but you know the lytle's like doom patrol short bit he did a little bit of flash um just kind of a little bit of everything so it's it's you know with him and paul ryan passed away as well it's just kind of like, oh, these guys are disappearing. <laughs> yeah. I was with his artwork. I, um, someone encouraged me in, in the, the, the mid 90s to, um, oh, I met someone who was like one of these Legion of Superheroes uber fans. Yeah. You know? And that was like, there was, that was a really unique subculture where the super fans of, of Legion. Um, and, you know, I remember the first time, down boy. Down. Down. Um, and I remember uh, going to like one of my first big, big uh, uh, comic book conventions, and they were there were indeed a mass of all these Legion of Superheroes fans all dressed in the costumes, and like it's like you could have a whole cosplay club and be the Legion of Superheroes, and I got really caught up in that, and, and as a result, became a fan of of Lytle's artwork. So I followed him there for a while because. He was my point of entry into that culture, his artwork. Mm. So, yeah, I thought he was marvelous. I was very fond of him. Yeah. Also, um, uh, a familiar face at San Diego Comic-Con, a wife of Ninja Turtles co-creator Kevin Eastman, and a character in her own right in Heavy Metal Magazine, Julie Strain has also passed away. Now, Chris, you brought this up before the show. I have actually never heard of her before today. I, uh, she was very common uh, just for me to see because of all the heavy metal connection points um, and, you know, working the, the store and, and everything. And I, I saw the post on um, a pop-up on Instagram like just a couple hours after she passed away. And it was just a little odd because I didn't, 
I didn't realize how old she was. Um, and it was such a, an odd listening because they, they mentioned she passed away due to dementia. I didn't realize that uh, she suffered that, I think, due to uh, she fell off a horse when she was young. Yeah. Oh, really? um, yeah. So it's uh, it was just kind of like, damn, OK. Mm. <laughs> and, and also she had apparently been claimed dead the year prior. Um, it's almost been an exact year in time. So like there's just a lot of odd surprises um, with this news. What was her biography called? Was it like six foot two and worth the climb? It was something like that. <laughs> that sounds familiar. That's an awesome. Amazonian scaled lady. And I just when when she married Kevin Eastman, I'm like, dude, you are living the nerd dream. You're a multimillionaire creator of these, you know, these multi-millionaire properties. Now you're publishing heavy metal and you married a heavy metal model. And she's also in um, the heavy metal fact two uh, animated film, the sequel to the original heavy metal. That was just kind of, that was actually, I believe if I recall correctly, was kind of a vehicle for her. Um, yeah. But she was, she was mostly just a, a really amazingly tall and extraordinary looking lady that graced a lot of covers of a lot of uh, pulp novels and posters and she was in a lot of bad movies but yeah, like purposefully but <laughs> i think that's something that she yeah exactly something that she took right yeah. i think i actually picked up screen queens magazine a couple of times and and she there was always an article or interview with her between the covers as well yeah she had a, a book published in 1997 called It's Only Art If It's Well Hung. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there was like a quote on, on Bleeding Cool. It said like, I am the chick that call when they want a gun-toting Amazon bitch, Barbarella, merciless bitch, lots of bitch, <laughs> with machine gun. Vampires, mm -hmm. witches, sorceresses, double agents, that's what I do. And I like to headbutt peep bites and kick them and spit on them and bust them in them. Go next. What I love is also like <laughs> looking through her roles on the filmography, just like Dominatrix, Annihilator Girl, uh, Queen, uh, Murderous, Black Will. You know, it's just like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I yeah. see, I see a theme here. There's a pattern. Yeah. The the Temptress, the Bear Wench, stripper mm -hmm. herself. Mm -hmm. So there's <laughs> played by herself. Yeah. She did the bear wench a couple of times. Oh, it's the bear wench project. Okay, that's uh, <laughs> <laughs> and Amazon. So, yeah. Mom, I got the internship. Where at bear wench? I'm bear wench. All right. Uh, moving on. <laughs> Uh, there was a special live stream event that Lucasfilm uh, produced where they talked about a bunch of um, new titles for its uh, its publishing initiative. And um, it was called Star Wars The High Republic. And it's a, it's a new era of Star Wars storytelling. I've heard some feedback from this, but... Um, what do y'all think about these new titles? I'm just they not look, a Star Wars person. Yeah. It was fun. Um, I have a friend who picked up the comics, the the Sewell. How do y'all pronounce his last Carl name? Soul. Soul. I asked him. Soul. I asked him directly. <laughs> so I'm looking to you. Um, friend of mine read the the, the comics uh, uh, introduction and is really digging them. And I am considering picking them up because I think Soul was one of the better. 
uh, Star Wars uh, uh, title writers in the last couple of years. I, I, I felt like you get the tone, you get what this is about. You're not trying to break any rules, but you are lifting up the things that you are illuminating the things in the mythology that I like. Um, so I'm digging it. So I did, I watched the trailer and I'm like, it looks like a lot of fun things here. It's multicultural group of people. It's also a real safe space in the early days of the Jedi. And, and you know, there's a, there's a lot of things that are, have yet to be explored. Well, I kind of take that back because Dark Horse did explore a lot of that stuff in the 90s. But hey, it's not canon anymore, so it doesn't count. Right. Yeah. yeah, so they're building all that stuff back up in their own mm-hmm. way and may pick and choose things who knows a lot of it looks like it'll appeal more to younger audiences which is good for sure yeah that's what it feels like looking at the pictures there is a character's name who is ram jamaram and it's just like ah there we go yeah (laughs) terrible name star wars names man (laughs) ram jamaram ram jamaram Uh, cool. Vegas has odds that Giancarlo Esposito, I learned how to say his name correctly, uh, Giancarlo Esposito is uh, to play Doctor Doom in the announced new Fantastic Four movie. Now, come on, another Fantastic Four movie is, is rolled ready for some more disappointment. But if they have Giancarlo, maybe maybe it might be might be good. See, I've been I've been wishing and hoping and dreaming that it's going to be Mads Mikkelsen. Mm. that's that's my perfect dr doom right now i could see Um, that a lot of the things that they say in the article for for different actors it's like someone might look good but probably wouldn't have the acting because like doom is one of those things he's he's over the top he's he's so um he's so theatrical but you still need to get this like seriousness and believe that he really truly is 100% in everything that he does. You know what I mean? But you also want somebody who's very subtly unhinged looking Mm -hmm. and creepy and has a little Hannibal in them. Mm -hmm. Um, And And (laughs) yeah, I I love, I loves me some Mads. So I, I like, I I like Giancarlo. Um, I, ever since I, I, uh, saw him in Breaking Bad as just kind of like, I do love this man. He's but, built a career out of playing the villain. So yeah, I think that's why he's tops in the Vegas odds. I, I do want to set aside that article and come back to it. And in a, a year or two, when the next wave of the casting of the next wave of Marvel movies goes, starts rolling and see how close their, their um, speculation was. Uh, I think that'd be really interesting. Yeah, I mean, other names up for grabs are Killian Murphy, Michael Fassbender, Viggo Mortensen, uh, Christoph Waltz, no. uh, Nikolai Coster-Waldo from Game of Thrones, and Wes Bentley from, I think I only know him oh. from American Beauty. Yeah, the guy from Game of Thrones isn't a bad choice. And Viggo's good. Viggo's too old, though. He's getting up there, yeah. So He's... the Game of Thrones guy's yeah. gonna, it's probably the best on that list for me, actually, now I think of it um because he 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 has that uh innate handsome man who probably is very insecure and will kill you if something bad happens to his face feeling so like that's that's (laughs) prime dr doom right there you know so yeah um odds on there are uh, odds on who's going to play mr fantastic was uh, john krasinski who's a really popular action actor these days i love Um, i love that idea right here so 
John David Washington, who is uh, currently in Tenet, which you can like stream now, or he was the lead in Black Klansman, which is a very good movie if you haven't seen it. Uh, he's also Denzel Washington's son, so that's a fun little fact. Uh, Glenn Howerton from uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia for some reason. I guess because he kind of looks like a weirdo <laughs> version of, of Reed. Yeah. I actually did always like uh, Horatio Hornblower or whatever his name is. I, I thought he, he was okay. It's unfortunate that the movie was that movie, but uh, I thought he was okay. Yeah. Uh, one of the names to play um, the thing is Dean Norris from Breaking Bad, uh, who played Walt's uh, brother-in-law, which I think, you know, if you're looking for somebody who's kind of already Michael Chiklis, then it's yeah. Dean Norris. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, just like a stocky barrel chested bald guy. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> he's in Sp yeah. Starship Troopers, and it's just there's so many people in Starship Troopers that you don't realize it until you like really rewatch that film. And uh, um, because one of the Golden Girls is that like blind mad scientist in there, but um, <laughs> but the the guy Rue from Breaking McClanahan. Bad, what's that? Rue McClanahan. Yes. But the guy from Breaking Bad just has that one quick scene where he's just like, oh, that, you know, you're going in for the service. That's great. And he's missing like three limbs. And he's just kind of like, service. Made me the man I am today. Yeah. <laughs> Not to leave her out of it, but uh, uh, John Krasinski's wife, Emily Blunt, is tops, is leading the Vegas odds to play Sue Storm. There's also Alice Eve and Rose McIver. Ooh, I don't know who I Rose had to McIver look up is, every but... single one of these women. I have no idea. <laughs> Alice Eve was in one of the new Star Trek movies. That's the only thing I know her from. I saved no space for celebrities. I had to pretty much look up everybody <laughs> on this list. I, I I devote too much hard drive space up here for celebrities and where I who they've played. What I need people to start thinking about is who's going to play Blue Marvel, because then we'll have our ultimates, and that's all I need in this world. And. Rose McGyver was the, the, the gal that played uh, Liv in um, the iZombie TV series. And, and you just happen to have a copy of her right there. Her, and I kind of have her action figure. All right. Well, that's po your, possibly your new Sue Storm in this uh, yeah. announced but yet to be cast uh, Fantastic Four. I'm sort of in support of that idea. So we'll just, <laughs> just hold that. can you just all hold that space for me, please? Idris Elba is the blue marble. Ah. I kind of like the tenant guy, actually. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. John David Washington. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm also not opposed to you know having different actors of different races play the family too. Like I know they tried to do that with Sue and Johnny. Um, yeah. In that yeah. last movie that I'll probably never see, just like Green Lantern, I'll never see. <laughs> Fantastic Four stick. Yeah. <laughs> the thing is, is I really like Chris Evans as Johnny, um, but yeah. unfortunately, he's America's ass. So. He is America. and he's I, coming back apparently as America's ass. I just yeah, read today just, uh, that he's in talks to come back as Captain America. <laughs> I think they can I think we could just go ahead and start recasting people because that's how we're gonna get Mads Mickelson because he already died in Doctor <laughs> Strange. But um because we have multiverse stuff on the way with uh, the in the mouth of madness or whatever. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not mouth madness, mountains of mad uh, whatever they're doing. Uh, in Doctor the Mads Strange. of Mickelson. The multiverse of madness. Yes, Mads of Mickelson. <laughs> <laughs> because it would be great if you know the same actor shows up but they're you know two people in the same movie and they're just like what because i think there's a weird scene in um 
uh, they, they did that Crisis on Infinite Earth for TV, and one of their Lex Luthers showed up on the Smallville universe, and he's just like, I'm Lex Luthor. And, and Smallville, Tom Wellings is just like, are you? <laughs> this is weird, because I don't get how people can be so different, but okay, you know. So it's it's just fine to go ahead and have the same person show up with a different name, and they just be like, okay, whatever. <laughs> It's true, though, you know, we need to spread our, our actor love out there, you know, yeah. give yeah. other people a chance too, or not, you know, I, just I'd rather be way. happy with two Mads Mikkelsen's, okay? <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Mads, 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 Mads world. It's a Mads, 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 Mads world. world. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> comic indeed a comic that i was disheartened to hear that has been being put on infinite uh, indefinite hiatus is ascender the uh, follow-up to uh descender uh i enjoyed the first trade i was looking to pick up some more but i hear that uh due to some um uh, emergencies uh, which is not completely unreasonable in this day and age um that uh the final the final few issues of ascender might not be happening choose an emergency yeah it's uh like yeah. spin a wheel of personal crisis and then indeed just, one, <laughs> yeah. just for the week i think they said that they are expecting to get it out a lot of it is already uh finished but there's just going to be the delay um as they're they're working through the the family problems mm-hmm. um or emergency problems or whatever it is yeah. so yep which you know, I I, I get and I, I I I can sympathize with because uh, Lord knows in my job if I get sick and delay something, I'm not gonna have, you know, a ton of fans, you know, uh, an entire fan base out there being disappointed, you know. <laughs> so it's it's Image Comics; they're used to disappointment. I mean, Saga should have come back two years ago. So uh, they were everybody... working on it all of 2020. What could have possibly happened last year? <laughs> yeah. So it's just like, yeah, it's 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 image. Just be patient. Yeah. yeah. It'll it'll happen. Alrighty. And finally today, um uh Rob Sokowitz wrote in Publisher Wiki that DC Comics is leaving its legacy behind. Basically that it has to do with a bunch of uh uh financial decisions. But uh do we feel that that um DC's in danger of losing its past? like do they care enough as much as the fans do that's the trouble of whether editor if there's enough of an editorial department left to care right um and that uh at&t isn't just like digging them you know making them a hollow uh ip gold mine is one of the words used um yeah it's it's kind of tough because i mean like I, I haven't read the the current event, the the death metal stuff, but I've I've seen some spoilers as to what you know it's unveiling, and it sounds like they're kind of getting back to the idea of of some of their older legacy, um, but it's just too tough to tell how much if they can correct the ship versus you know how deep they already are, um, yeah. He- this article that Salkowitz wrote was really interesting to me because I realized about halfway in what, when we're discussing legacy, are we talking about the history, the rich history of the IP? Or are we talking about the legacy of the production staff of the last couple of years? Because it was, he was talking a lot about the layoffs and, and, and things like that. 
And that was an aspect of legacy too, of the, the publishing house and, and the, the, um, uh, the cultural knowledge. A lo loss of that institutional knowledge. Thank yeah. Very much. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. There, I think I read somewhere there's like over 125 years of just knowledge right. lost, you right. know? And that's, I mean, I consider that to be tragic. And, um, you know, that's what you lose when you purge due to financial um, constraints or, you know, shipping money or that's legacy you lose. Yeah. I know. I, I, I kind of want to say that there's an old adage that says uh, no good art was has come ever come out of bringing the budget down. But I, uh, you know, I work in fringe theater, so that's not exactly true. Um, but cat, sidebar there, side note there, Ben, is that in fringe theater, it's a foregone conclusion that we will create under the constraints. And that's is that's our vision for art. Yeah. Another thing when you give when someone has a huge sandbox and you start kicking people out um and you have a huge a wealth of uh, a wealth of resources and you start you start trimming them back or kicking people out or whatever i'm sorry nicole were you gonna say well it just depends on like who you're kicking out you know like if you keep if you're keeping all those people who are making really terrible decisions way higher up and you don't have people like who are kind of holding down the ship and like the creative path then yeah, you're just gonna strip stuff down and it's just, you don't, you clearly don't care. I mean, whoever's running their movie stuff is doing a terrible job and <laughs> needs to find another job, you know? So it's like, if you're gonna be doing some silliness with the comics and you're losing all these people who have a wealth of knowledge, mm -hmm. um, a lot of writers that we like, you know, for instance, are people who bring in uh, older stuff and do something new and interesting with it or make things count or something like that. Like I'm reading JLA Grant Morrison and Morrison loves bringing in all kinds of stuff. And oh, yeah. so, you know, it just depends on who you're keeping is really what it comes down to. Sure. It's like, like you said, in fringe theater, you know, you have people who are there like creating, you know, they're there because they want to be there and they want to make something amazing out of very little. Right. And <laughs> it, yeah, it's just, you, you're going to hollow it out and then we're all going to be bored and I'm not really sure. reading DC anyway. <laughs> Uh, actually i'm reading old dc because yeah. i'm trying interesting i'm trying to throw dc a bone here because they're they keep disappointing me constantly and i i don't want to i don't want to give up on you dc well <laughs> another another here's another bone for you nicole i think the the harley quinn animated series is outrageous and i am fascinated by it because i really should hate it because it violates all this stuff i've been i mean i've been Clutch, clutching my pearls over for years and i'm like no this is some really outrageous and vital um interior interior um satire what do i say it's it's self-satirical at some point yeah and that revitalizes that actually made me care mm -hmm. about a lot of these characters it's like you're poking fun and yet there are moments of like really harsh seriousness yeah this is really kind of exciting it's and good it's good writing actual yeah. empathy it's and writing it's yeah. scripting on it's 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 rude but it's <laughs> is it truly outrageous it is it's turned it's up outrageous. to 11 and it never ever ever turns it down <laughs> it's like the it's like the aquaman from brave and the bold who would always be like outrageous so, and then yeah. break out in song <laughs> yeah they break out in song it's how about i told you the tape yeah that's, that's a that's a blow 
you know? It's got a heck of a cast. I mean, Kaylee Cuoco as Harley Quinn, Alan Tudyk as Clayface, yeah. uh, Ron Funches, <laughs> who is a, uh, a stand-up who has performed in this very room at NX Theater, plays Ron King Funches. Shark, Tony Hale from Arrested Development, and Veep, Jason Alexander. Man, it's a... It's, it's super easy to do voiceover work because the producers just send you a microphone and you record your stuff in your closet and you're done. Mm-hmm. And this the, writing of, uh... is, the writing is, is equally outrageous and, yeah. and um, unpredictable. But it's, and it's clever. That's yeah. the, that's what really, yeah. really sells it. Cause yeah, there, there are moments where it does certain things uh, where I'm like, it makes me feel weird about the moral and ethical elements of it, but I'm just kind of like, yeah, but also you just did some great shark man jokes. So it's okay. <laughs> you know, and, and, and it bends rules but to my mind doesn't break them i mean the depiction of batman and the depiction of jim gordon are kind of douchey you know but uh jim gordon man you know but at the same time (laughs) i'm still like i still like these characters and i may actually go back to reading a batman comic at some point and go you know this cartoon showed me a new side here that is now kind of informing how i read this character and that's not a bad thing all right. Uh, yeah. and, and I, you know, but well, it's, uh, it's self satirical, which is something that we are seeing more of now. Hold on to your idea, Chris. I'm just oh, yeah. a quick point. There's something we're seeing more of now, also with like uh, Paramount's uh, Star Trek send up called The Lower Decks, mm. which is a very similar kind of thing where I was like, wow, man, 20 years ago, this was sacred earth. You could did not dare tread on this sacred earth. And now it's like, oh, you're teaching me new stuff about this really, really tired franchise. And I'm kind of digging it. So anyway, go ahead, buddy. I was just going to say, uh, like you said, reading reading some of the books and, and now having this iteration of them in your head, I'm always going to be reading Bane as this version of Bane, uh, not just for the voice, but just for just for his random, like, I, I like this Bane as a person. Yes. <laughs> I feel bad for him all the time. Because he just wants friends. The whole yeah. holistic turning the pit into the, like this holistic yeah. prison. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. you know, and having um, you know, having support groups and stuff like that, which Holly, uh, which uh, Ivy and Harley have no interest in participating in. And it's breaking Bane's heart that they don't want to do this. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just gold. All right, you sold me. I'm going to watch this cartoon. Is it on Netflix? How do I see it? It's, it's on HBO, HBO Max. Yeah. Oh, great. I have that. Yeah. Let's move on to Book Report, everybody. And uh, Cole Hornaday, what do you want to tell us about? Well, uh, the book I'm going to review is kind of part of a bigger project because, hey, it's Cole Hornaday, right? So um, a couple of weeks ago, uh, I uh, finally finished reading um, this wonderfully epic tome published by uh, Fanographics back in 2015 called The Eternaut by um, Hector Germain, Esterheld, and uh, Francisco Solano Lopez. It was originally uh, serialized in a, I don't have it with me. Um, it's a giant tome. It's, it weighs probably about 45 pounds and, and it's 360 pages and it's gorgeous, but it, it was originally serialized in a newspaper in Argentina in the 50s. And it tells this very interesting, thinly veiled uh, uh, allegory for um, uh, totalitarian militaristic regime that was currently in control of Argentina at the time. Uh, the story reads like this wonderfully pulpy H.G. Wells-inspired science fiction story where aliens come to Earth and they create a toxic snowfall that kills everybody 
but a handful of people who figure out how to make little environmental suits and stay alive and then join this militia to fight these aliens. The aliens are really brilliant because we never know who's running the show. And there's several different levels of organization of different aliens that have all been enslaved to you know, systematically take over different uh, planets throughout the system. That's the Eternaut, the original one. And that comic book apparently was an institution, that strip rather was an institution in and of itself and has been republished and rebooted several times. So um, I sadly could never afford to get my hands on the, um, the big print tome when it's long out of print. And when the Eternaut was published in 2015, it was a $50 book and now you can't find it for less than 300. Um, but I was very excited to learn that they did that um, Esther Held and uh, Alberto Breccia, another artist who's very famous in his own right, in 69 attempted to do a reboot. And this is um, the different version, a much more truncated version called Mr. You're gonna have to be down the front. Down the front, buddy! There you go. Um, it's, uh, uh, this is a, a a wildly different interpretation of the same story. And obviously it's much, much thinner. But, um, and what's frustrating is that in reading the background of the story, you learn that they really didn't have a chance to get this off the ground because by this, by this point in time, the Junta is really in control of Argentina. And even the readership that were once big fans of these artists' work were slipping away and, and, and withdrawing and not buying the newspapers that they were being published in. This version of the Eternaut is really fascinating, really beautiful. Um, and I do recommend it for uh, Breccia's artwork alone. Sadly, in reading this, you're not gonna be able to appreciate half the magnitude of what the story originally had to offer unless you read the big tome, hence my opening comment about I've been doing this project. <laughs> um, so this is kind of like a sad, paler version of the original epic. And if you can ever get your hands on the original epic, I, um, you know, go for it. If you find it used, if you find it like, you know, someone bequeaths it to you, hold on to it with all your life because it's really, really a tremendous piece of work. This, this I don't know that if it ever had a chance to be anything other than a pale, you know, to, to be a pale um, afterthought of the original. Um, this fanographics just published in Hardbound this year. Um, but it was originally published in 1969. Sadly, um, Breccia escaped to, I believe, France or Spain in the 70s to get away from the, uh, the political um, upheaval in the, the dirty war that lasted, I think, close to a decade in Argentina. Um, Esther Held and his four daughters were disappeared in 1978. They were gone. The two daughters were, the four daughters rather, were, were political dissidents. They all part, took part in publishing his newspaper and the government made them go away. And we don't ever know, we don't know whatever came of it. So I think about those things when I was reading both these books, like, okay, you can't really be persnickety about something that someone created from the bottom of their soul and ultimately died as a result. So wow. yeah, it's a hard call. It's like, I want everybody to read these books. I think now more than ever, I want them to read all these books. I wish it was easier for y'all to find them. Is uh, this maybe a future panel jumper? Um, sure, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Add it to the list. Yeah, yeah, it's a list, okay. Only, only because I'm that passionate about telling the story behind the story, yeah. <laughs> panel jumper 2030. Yeah. <laughs> all right, the Eternal, thank you, Cole Horner. You're welcome. 
Uh, Nicole, what do you got for us? Well, I mentioned I was reading JLA by Grant Morrison, and uh, I think it was after watching Wonder Woman 1984, I told Chris that I wanted to finally read some DC Grant Morrison stuff, like I wanted to read the Batman and Son, you know, his run there. And then, of course, it was like a chain of of text, you know, between the two of us on Facebook Messenger, just being like, oh, read this, ooh, read. and yeah. here's the reading list, and there's that thing. Which is good, but it's also a lot of work, and I know that I stall out. Like I, I, I get a good running start, and then I just kind of peter off. So I want to keep it going. I have been reading. Both. I read the first volume, um, which is on Hoopla, and I don't remember like what what this current printing it what this printing was. It says 2017. So whatever printing that is, and whatever that includes, it does go through. Um, it does go through the uh, hyper clan. Wait, I already forgot yeah. what it's called. The hyper clan, and I think you said it got the uh, the key story, the one that had yes. Green Arrow in it. Yes. Um, so, yeah. So, they so it might march and stuff too. Yeah, that's the hyper clan. Martian stories. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um. So, so a couple things that it could it could have derailed me. First, it's like some like '90s art, which and everybody like character design and names are kind of like, I'm never going to remember you. <laughs> and you're kind of a mess to look at. And at some point, uh, Superman becomes blue and electric uh, because, you know, that, that happened. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a bunch of other things where it just seems disjointed story-wise because other things were happening at the time and they just assumed you were probably reading everything to, to get it. Even through all of those things, it kept me engaged and i kept finding myself wanting to read like you know by the by the glow of the of the kindle <laughs> while reading on hoopla um and so that is really telling because it was all over the place and i wouldn't really recommend it for somebody who is not used to that kind of stuff with superhero or knows that going into it because it'll just be like what am i reading but that just is a testament to how good Grant Morrison is at storytelling. And you get great Batman stuff of him just like, <sighs> yeah. and like hunched over and looking like an actual bat and like knowing everything. And, you know, him being there an hour ahead of time in the shadows while the JLA is like, where's Batman? He's late again. And they're like, and then he's like, no, I'm here and I have a plan and I've already figured it all out. <laughs> like, okay. All right, Batman. Cool. <laughs> well, and one of my favorite moments too, where he's the, uh, so each of the hyper clan villains, their spoilers white martians which each a, a white martian is stronger than superman and uh everybody barely kind of beats one by the end but batman beats like three on his own yeah and it's just this great scene where where he just figured out how to take them out and uh he took a lot of joy in beating them Absolutely. and uh yeah that this so this run of jla was my introduction to dc comics um, so there's always uh, a bit of joy when I can get people into it and talk to them about it and see how they liked it. Yeah, you know, it's um, it's the run that brought me back to JLA because I mm. was about. I mean, I loved the '80s stuff that was so uh, parodic, but uh, this, and I don't think I was really that into Morrison until I read this stuff. Um, I've been shied away from Animal Man and his other Vertigo stuff, and I was like, wow, this guy loves superheroes yeah he loves yeah. them and he's uh i i love that run i have very fond memories of his of his run on jla 
there's just crazy ideas and yeah. I, like like you said nicole bringing back old ideas and villains because like that yep. villain the key is a loser from the the 60s he's just a, a guy with a weird key shaped helmet and uh a key gun and they 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 beat his ass all the time and so he comes back and he he's all like creepy and messed up and he's got a new gimmick about unlocking the mines uh and stuff like that and it's just like pretty soon you're gonna get the uh the shaggy man and i love the i love the fact that he reimagined the shaggy man shaggy man's just a bigfoot um but they but they turn him into a viable threat with an interesting backstory and everything else and it's just kind of like you did that with shaggy man (laughs) look i'm i'm re-watching or watching all of the batman 66 tv show like pretty slowly because i bought the box set for my husband and we just got through the archer which is pretty much just robin hood Yeah. yeah and so you know that's that was the time that was what they do but it's when writers take that stuff and say but what if and that yeah. makes really interesting storytelling very compelling and still mm-hmm. giving a, a a little nod of the hat to you know who came before you you know mm-hmm. so i like that and does did your version have the the war with heaven that doesn't sound familiar no that's next for you so have fun <laughs> I gotta get through the rest of Grant Morrison, Batman and Son, and Black Glove. I'm reading it combined. So once I do that, then I'll jump in JLA too, and I'm kind of gotcha, doing that. Gotcha. And then JSA will get thrown in there and, and stir yep. it all up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Alrighty, uh, Grant Morrison's JLA. Thank you, Nicole. And finally, Chris Casso, what do you got? Uh, the book that I love so much, I have to review it a third time. Um, so will it show with my background? <laughs> Yes. Kind of. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, this is Dwellings by Jay Stevens. Uh, Jay Stevens is a creator who has been out of the comic industry for about almost 20 years. Uh, he moved into animation and uh, uh, he used to do the comics, the Jet Cat Clubhouse, the Land of Nod, um, a couple other things here and there, uh, Atomic City Tales, um, all stuff I loved. He had a really cartoony uh, style, but he would tell kind of disturbing, subtly disturbing elements with those. Um, his animation work is more more kid friendly in general. Jet, jet, there, there is a Jet Cat cartoon, and it does not do the creepy things that Jet Cat did in the comics at times. Um, so he decided to come back, and he did a Kickstarter, and basically the Dwellings comics are a mashup of EC comic stories with uh, Harvey Comics aesthetics. Um, so like your Richie Rich and your Casper style. Uh, but the the actual plotting, the storytelling is very much uh, feels like an EC Tales from the Crypt horror comic. And um, so you, you have that great uh, mix mash of styles. And this first issue is basically following a, uh, a kid who uh, he's in... Um, uh what do you call it when the the fbi hides you from the mafia witness protection witness protection thank you uh, <laughs> what disappeared sorry made a bad people joke never mind oh, yeah. oh. <laughs> uh but and and they a thug uh recognizes him and threatens him and his mother and he beats the thug with a uh, with the rock and kills him and then the crows come and eat the corpse 
and uh and so the thing is the crows keep following the kid and he keeps trying to get rid of them and accidentally killing other people or things and the crows keep feeding off the corpses <laughs> so he starts to have a mental break and he thinks he is a crow and um it's just great because you know he's killing people with scissors and uh, the crows are eating eyeballs out of corpses but in that harvey style so uh i loved it uh i think there will be more it sounded like he's planning on on doing a bunch but they'll probably be kickstarters for each issue uh you can get them directly from the website of uh black eye comics um it's it's not that pricey it's I think for the digital copy, it's something like four bucks. Uh, for the print copy, it's five dollars and nineteen cents because they went with the Canadian price of six dollars and sixty-six cents, and um, it is well worth it if you get the chance. Uh, they also printed it uh, like they the their unglossed pages on the inside, and everything looks distressed. It has fake ads. Um, the ads are great because there's like a exploding hand grenade. Uh, this hand grenade looks and works just like a real one. All you do is pull the pin, <laughs> throw the grenade, and watch the fun as it explodes. Harmless. And uh, sorry, but we cannot actually ship orders because nothing is real. Everything is a lie. You must know this. So tonally, it's just a lot of fun. I'm glad you actually reviewed this again because uh, it reminded me that I need to go out on the web and buy it because I, I, I was fascinated by your trusty henchman review and i'm like this sounds like a boatload of awesome so it is a you can get it as a floppy it's not a perfect pound or anything like yep. that yep you could just get um, it as a normal floppy so um, it leans all the way into being a an old school 60s harvey style comic book but it's not okay yeah. that's that's really great so yeah and then like the kickstarter i don't know uh you might be able to get some of this stuff if you buy it directly but the kickstarter had like postcard of the variant cover which is very ec style nice. and uh limited edition prints which are nice and even a poster that's about the return of jay stevens uh so it's it's good stuff all right um, that's really awesome yeah so if you ever see another kickstarter on them i mean this one i think the full package was like eight dollars and that's that's fine with me for for the quality, it is well worth it. All right, um, I'm gonna go buy it. I'm, I I I thank you for reminding me. I need to go buy it. And and hunt down old J. Stephen comics. Uh, they did some reprints of Land of Nod and Jet Cat stuff not too long ago. Um, I can't imagine you have to pay much money for Atomic City Tales because nobody knows what it is. But I, I, I need to go reread those. But I remember absolutely loving them I at the time. I think I have all those. You know, with wasn't he adopting kind of a very Mike Allred style? Yes. I have very, all those. It's yeah. very Mike Allred. Oh, and I didn't um, get rid of them either. Time for a rereading. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks. That's, Thank that's you the again. thing. Every, every time I, I've had to, over the past couple of years, decide to like trim down and sell things, mm -hmm. even though I haven't reread those Atomic City Tales, there's some part in my deep subconscious mind is like, no, you don't touch those. <laughs> Leave those on the shelf. They are precious. So, alrighty, dwellings. Thank you, Chris and Cole. When you pick yours up, uh, mind some of those fake ads for future panel jumper live phone call bits. Absolutely, one more reason to spend my hard-earned shekels on that. 
Indeed. All right. Well, thank you all. Well, that is Book Report. That is our show. The Prickerbound Podcast is brought to you by The Panel Jumper. See everything Cole Hornaday and I do at thepaneljumper.com. Send us an email, Podcast at gmail.com. Subscribe to the show on iTunes or however you get your podcasts at preferboundpodcast.com. Thank you again for listening. And uh, go to the videos. uh, Go to our YouTube page at youtube.com slash thepaneljumper and see Cole sword fighting with his cat, Mr. Red, in front of the camera. Oh, it looks like Mr. One. All right. Well, well, maybe we'll try to revitalize Cole for the next time on the Proof of Podcast. Thank you for listening.